shine your light on the world Shine your light for the world to see My army said shine your light on the world Shine your light for the world to see My army said shine your light on the world is our JLA family. I am Angela Birdsong, your conversation piece host on RadioJustice.org. In the real day-to-day happenings of urban living locally and worldwide. For you, while staying safe at home, or masked on the bus, train, plane, or social distancing everywhere. Today, more hip-hop underground stories with DJ Dat Kid 179 on conversation piece with a continuous mix of tales from breakdancing, rapping, graffiti artistry to ultimately spinning turntables that began while he was in grade school. Welcome to Conversation Piece. We have DJ Dat Kid 179 on for a previous show and once we start recording he started talking about some more stuff and I'm like, I got to get this before this brother gets on the plane to yeah. go to Nigeria. You started talking about breakdancing and that yeah, didn't yeah. even come prior, in the first interview, man. Prior to, prior to DJing, I, I should have told you this, before I even picked up two turntables, I was a, I was a breakdancer. You know, it was me and a couple other brothers, um, my brother Kenton and my, uh, my cousin Punch. You know, rest in peace. My brother Punch just passed away uh, last year. And um, we had a little, uh, a, a, a breakdance trio, you know what I'm saying? Where we used to not just battle the, the other breakdancers, but we used to be invited to birthday parties to perform, <laughs> you know, because hip hop was new. So people were like, yeah, my, my, we have a birthday party for my daughter. Would you guys come dance? And they would pay us. And we would go, you know, with our windbreaker suits on and we'd dance, do a little, do a little dance set for them. From there, me and Kenton, we decided we wanted to be rappers. So we started rapping, trying to be little rappers and things. He was um, MC Cash and, you know, I was on Kid Fresh. You know what I'm saying? We thought we was rappers, you know? And that was all before the turntables even came into my life. When the hip hop thing, when the rap thing didn't work out too well, because we did a few shows, me and um, MC Cash. We did a few shows, little um, high school talent shows, as well as um, community center shows and things of that nature. But we wasn't serious as, as artists, you know, trying to become a, a group and sustaining a career. We wasn't serious. So that went to the wayside. And then being my, my second to the oldest brother, the one that's known as Who That, a.k.a. Antoine, he, he had the passion for DJing. It was his passion and all his um, high school and college friends that had the passion for uh, DJing. So they used to gather at a couple of his friends' house and just play. Unbeknownst to me, that him and my older brother was talking. So my older brother knew, oh, he liked turntables. I need to get him some turntables. So he really bought the turntables for him, for my older brother. Because again, I'm too young to be messing with them. So they didn't really want me to mess with the turntables. And so they seen I was serious. Okay, well, now you got to put the needle back on. You got to close the lid. You got to, you know, taught me everything I need to do if you're going to be playing it. And then from that point on, that's when, you know, like I said, the guy downstairs every Saturday, because, you know, Saturday is the weekend. That's the time when the kids get to, you know, rest late and then get up and watch cartoons. I couldn't do that because seven in the morning, they boom, boom, boom with the music downstairs practicing as a rap group. So I, I'm up early morning listening to them. And then I got to hang down there a couple of times. And that's why I got my first real, like I say, my underground taste of um, hip hop, not the commercial, like, uh, Crush Groove or Beach Street. Not that view of it, but the, the lifestyle of living it, being close to those who actually was walking when it was first being created. You know, that was my first taste. So the, all this music is happening around mm-hmm. you. Where are the parents? Okay, who well, with the, the loud music and- The guy and, downstairs, Kareem, he's staying with his grandmother who spoils him. He get whatever he wants. He's not living with his parents. He's living with his grandmother. So she's buying the turntable, she's buying the records, she's buying his cool clothes to make him look like he could fit in. You understand? My parents, um, my mom's was working, so my step pops, he would be what we call um, Mr. Mom. 
you know what I'm saying? So Pops was there, but um, the way our home was set up, my room was way in the back. So as long as that noise is in the back and not in the front bothering them, I can have as much guests as I want, <laughs> as late as I want. And also it was a time where you couldn't just go around the corner and find another DJ. You couldn't go down the street and find another DJ. The next DJ would be two or three towns over. So like I was the only DJ in a close vicinity to all of people who were like really interested in becoming artists as a coming as a, as a DJ coming up. Cause like I said, Kareem was with the group already. He's claimed, you know, and then you had me, this young boy coming up. Nobody knows me yet, except for a couple of my friends who know I got equipment. And then you have maybe another DJ like five, six blocks away, but he don't converse with this DJ. They don't even know each other. So it wasn't like how it is now. Like everywhere you go, you see DJs. It was like you had, you, you was real lucky if you knew a DJ. So that's how I kind of like got my, my real, real turntable skills up by these rappers coming by my house and wanting to rap on the mic. And my job is to keep that beat on beat, keep it going. Don't let it skip. Don't let me go off. If I go off, because they used to come to my house to record tapes. We do a whole tape. I just keep running different beats and they'll just keep making up different songs on 60 minutes or 90 minute tapes. And then they would, those are like their mixtapes back in the day. And they would take those tapes, make copies, and then go out and people who knew they could rap would purchase these tapes from them. So I had people like, um, names probably won't make sense to you, but like Mike C, it's a famous name on the East Coast. Um, guy named Ice, you know, I had these guys coming over every day, like wanting to rap, but basically helping me hone my skills. I didn't even realize that's what was happening, but I was getting better and better and better. So when it, when I, when it was time for me to DJ in the clubs and certain artists who was performing for the talent night needed a DJ and they wanted me to play, I could keep them on beat because I was always doing this at home with these MCs and now I could do it with you guys with no problem. So that's how I met rappers like um, Redman, um, Biz Marquee, and um, um, Do It All Dupree from Lords of Underground, and you know different people of New Jersey, like Queen Latifah. You know, I DJ one of her house parties. You know what I'm saying? But this was like in in high school, coming up as a kid. You know, and then um, from high school, I DJ at the, at the club right next to the high school, which was housed by Biz Mark's cousin. His cousin name was Godfather D. Everybody knew this guy, you know, because he would do all the school functions, like the proms, the school dances, you know what I'm saying? He was famous for doing that. So when he was out doing the school functions, I was at his club opening for him and waiting for him to get finished with that function and come back. And then he would tell me, all right, little man, you can go now. You know, <laughs> he never gave me my respect, but I used to rock his parties in his absence to the point where they was like, yo, put little man back on, you know, and he ain't like me for that, so... That was like one of my first rivals, and he was an elder. He was older, way older than me. But you know, <laughs> right, right. So, so your 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 first rival was who? What was his name? His name was Godfather D. Dexter. Godfather D. Yeah, Dax. He was um Bismarcky's cousin, his blood cousin. So like uh, that's how I got to meet Bismarck and um, Big Daddy Kane and Roxanne Shante and. You know, all these rappers back then when they was, you know, really doing a lot of noise on the, on the videos and on the radio stage. And I got to meet them doing that gig. You know, it was a, a club called Club Napoleon. That was my first ever club I ever DJed in. And again, I was in high school. Actually, I was in grade school. <laughs> so I was like... Grade in, school? Wait a minute. Yeah. Who, who let you out the house? My house is right down the street, around the corner. Ain't nothing for me to go to, the, especially if they find out I'm doing what I love to do and in front of a crowd. My mother and them was like, go for it. They supported me. They just didn't give me the money to buy the equipment or buy the records. That's your job. So I had to get a job and I had to, you know, my paycheck go to my records because mom ain't going to buy my records. That's all. But yeah, they support me. They support me still today. Always supported me, you know? Right. <laughs> it's like as a DJ, not to be not to be vain in no way like that, but I felt like as a DJ, my hands is the most important thing. So I can't be carrying no crates of records. I got this guy that's gonna carry crates for me. And this guy's gonna carry crates for me. And these are my these are my ride to the event as well. So they get in with me. So that's how I always went to the event. I always went with like two people, one who will be driving, one who will carry my crates. And they will be elders. Again, like I said, I was the youngest one, but they the elders. So they'll take me 
and they protect me. You know what I'm saying? They got my back. And long as my parents knew I was going with them, oh, you good. You all right. You know, they're going to make sure nothing happened, basically like that. It was not like how it is now. It was so much more of a freer time. Even though Newark, New Jersey and East Orange got a reputation later on in life, in the time where I'm speaking of, it wasn't violent. It wasn't, it wasn't so much of the stabbing going on. If anything, it would be a fight. People would jump. You know, you would get jumped. But you would be able to survive the next day. You would be, you know, alive. So it wasn't violent like he can't be out after night. You know, my mother used to be, I don't want you in New York after dark. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But here, you know what I'm saying? As long as you're in the neighborhood, especially after lights come on or if you ain't out there doing your, doing your work, you know, you need to be close to home. So that's how my mom was. She was very, she was very free, like, you know, she wasn't strict on us. I have, I have so, I have so, so many questions. So hmm. um, you're, you're in the midst of this creative storm that we know now as, as hip hop. Yeah. But while all this was, while, while this perfect storm was, was coming together, all, all these creative sources, energies, mm-hmm. did you know that you were on the brink of something bigger no. than no. Than, than what the culture was going to be able to handle? I almost almost believed when they were saying that it's just a fact. It's just a trend. Let the kids have it. Let the kids, you know, I almost believed the elders when they were saying that to the point, like, I think that's why breakdancing didn't last too long. And, um, why? Rapping the first time. Because, you know, um, the, the the adults didn't take it serious. And then again, like I said, when I went to do parties, even when I DJ parties, you know, my brother would be like, yeah, I'm going to give you at least 15 minutes. And then when I would DJ myself, I would only get five minutes. That's because they didn't want to hear no hip hop. They didn't care for hip hop. And that goes for everywhere. Man, woman, and child. You go to a party, you play hip hop. Yeah, they listen to a LL Cool J song. They'll listen to a Run DMC song. They might even listen to Fat Boys. But after that, they want to get back to the club music. They want to get back to the disco. They want to get back to the um, what we call 90s R&B, like M2 May and stuff like that. Ring my bell. They want to get back to that. They don't want to hear no boom bap. You know, and that's why I look at rap today. Like all those people who was, I don't want to hear it then, then all of a sudden became infatuated with it. And now I go back to the East Coast, all them same people now cannot stand hip hop and they look back on house music. You know what I'm saying? So wow. as a DJ, you got to learn that too, how fickle your audience is. How could you keep them attentive? Because once they get bored, that's what happened. For the 10 years that Lil Wayne reigned on the, on the airwaves, all the real hardcore hip hoppers got bored with hip hop and went straight back to um, house music or they went back to like um, 90s hip hop. And 80s hip hop, but they refused to go forward with the kids was taken, you know. With that, where where are we with our current state of what we call trap music? Okay, see, that's a mumbo thing. rap. That's a beautiful thing because again, our kids created it. It's just like when we created what we created. I remember um Bismarck was talking about picking boogers. Um Joe Ski Love was talking about doing the PV dance. You know, so we, we did some silly songs as well. We did some silly tunes, some songs that was like kind of bonkers. So I can't take anything from the kids, only except for the fact that the industry has found that they can use the kids as tools to push a message that they want the public to receive. And that's what you're seeing with this. And the kids don't even realize that they're being used and abused in this in this fashion. So the way I'm seeing hip hop now is that there is an awakening. And no one wants to hear that track crap no more. They want to hear what is called, what I would refer to as reality rap. When you talk about things just real that you and I can relate to, something that makes somebody ponder and be like, oh yeah, that does make sense. You know, not something about um, shooting people all day or I'm selling all these drugs and I'm in the trap house, like all that negative music. Like I said, the rise of Kendrick Lamar, all that kind of died down because he made, he sharpened people's minds to make them want more than what they were getting, something with substance. So that's where I see the, the future. And if you look elsewhere, outside of the walls of the United States, like in the UK, in Australia, you'll see that those hip hoppers are still practicing the creative form of hip hop as we intended back in the 90s. It's just not being promoted here in the Americas. It's not being shown here in the Americas, but it's being done. 
you know, it's so in other places. So here in America, we, we got caught up into the commercialized. We got, we got, we got, we got hooked on the vanity and the ego. Of it. Vanity and the ego. Yeah. Because there is no vanity and no ego in real hip hop. There is none. Hip hop is selfless for the people. It's almost like reggae. I always tell people that um, hip hop is a child of reggae. So if you listen to real culture, roots, rock, reggae, and you listen to how them artists speak in their music, that is what real hip hop energy intent is. It's not what you hear that the, the radios are forcing these DJs to constantly shove down your throat on an everyday basis. That's why you have mumble rap, because the industry finds it to be lucrative for their pocket. You know what I'm saying? And detrimental to the minds and bodies and souls of the people. So it's, it's a win-win for them when you, when you go into that aspect of being negative with hip hop. It's a win-win for them. So if you think that you're gonna be an artist in, the, in hip hop and doing negativity, then you can just look at all the examples of those who are not with us who have been practicing that ideology. You know, no disrespect, but from your Biggie Smalls to your Tupac song, all those that was, you know, I'm killing, I'm spilling, I'm, I'm the villain. They're all not gone. They're not with us no more. Because hip hop is an energy you cannot play with. It's almost like a Holy Ghost, you know? When, you, when your mom and them like, you don't play with the Holy Ghost in church. You don't play with that. Yeah, you don't play with that. Same thing with the hip hop energy. You don't play with that, you know? You said you said there's no ego, no vanity yeah. in hip hop, no, no self. But when I think about the rap battles, exactly. You know, our, our, our LL Cool J talking about I'm bad. Thank you. You see, that's all vanity. It's all vain. To me, that's not hip hop. I refer to that just straight as commercial, commercial rap. You know what I'm saying? Because if they're not talking about themselves, then they're rhyming about products. They're rhyming about what they eat, what they wear, what they drive, who they with, where they flew, where they been. You know, all that stuff that, that, that has to do with the material world. Ain't none of it tapping you back into you. Like, um, most of made a song called Ome Says. Ome Says, shine your light on the world. See, that's music to make you reflect within yourself, make you want to go out and give positive affirmations on a daily basis. You know what I'm saying? That's hip hop. You know, music that make people, I even say, I even go so far to say what Hammer was doing was hip hop. You know, because he brought, he brought the elders into the fold of hip hop even if he was doing it his way. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, Who's MC, MC Hammer. MC Hammer. Yeah, I would refer to him as hip hop because I couldn't get my mother to listen to what we were saying in hip hop or rap music. I couldn't get her. But when Hammer came up on the stage, my parents shh, turned the TV up, you know? Hammer on. And when I saw that, when I saw my parents Looking ahead with this man is saying he's using hip hop beats and he's dancing hip hop and he's claiming to be a rapper. Hmm. Then I start looking at hip hop differently, like, oh, so our elders can be touched by this message. It depends on who delivers it and how it was delivered. You know, he had a lot of lights, a lot of dances, a lot of flash, a lot happening. It looked like a church revival, right? Think about it. <laughs> well, you yeah, that's, like yeah, you could, that's true. That's like true. Like you could join in. Like you could join in to have fun too. So, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah, church. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody was dancing. You know, I didn't hate on Hammer. Mad people did hate on Hammer. I didn't hate on him. I appreciate right, it. Right. You and know? now, and now, and now that you um, compared, you know, said that it's, it was like a church revival. Yeah. In, in the sense of of, of the showmanship. Mm-hmm. It made me think about Kirk Franklin's stuff. There we go. You see? That ushered in that. And then when that with that, it brought in what we now refer to as Christian hip hop. We have a genre now called Christian hip hop. You know what I'm saying? I have a brethren, his name used to be Hobbs the Ripper, because he used to just straight rip rappers, just rip them. Every time he came to do a show, he, he would ask me to be his DJ, of course. But every time he performed, I, can't, I, I kid you not, he would win every single time he would win, you know. But now he's one of the hardest Christian rappers out there. One of the what hardest is his name now? His name is Haas. Uh, I think it's Haas the Prophet, but it's still Haas. He still kept his name Haas, you know. And I've seen him like maybe um, two, three years back. And yeah, he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian right now. I'm like, word, man, I'm proud of you. <laughs> I'm proud of you because he's a force. 
And I can imagine what he was doing with, with regular hip hop, what he'll do for Christianity. You know what I'm saying? So I was right. proud of him, yeah. How did how did you, or, or maybe you didn't, did you avoid the drug trade in the neighborhood? No, no. Actually, I would like to leave that one alone. <laughs> okay, we can, we can, we can. Oh, yeah. I feel like a lot of what I do now is still working in, in begging for forgiveness for what I did back then. So I'm, I'm, I'm 100% selfish because of the crack era on the East Coast when it did come in my community, you know? So I'm striving to give back as much positive as negative as we gave out then. Because, yeah, that was a point in my time, I say almost about eight years, eight, nine years of my life where I just left them turntables collecting dust, you know? But at the end of all of that run, when I turned back, some turntables are still sitting there waiting for me. So I've been always with the turntables sent. But no, I didn't avoid it. I kind of got caught um, right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of it. You know, smack that. <laughs> for about eight to nine years. At least. At the least. I'm just guessing me. Because I chose to like, a lot of what I'm sharing with you, I can remember, but there's a lot that I cannot because I chose to you know, do a reset, a mental reset, and, you know, forget a lot of what I don't want to remember. That's the bulk of it. That's at least about eight to 10 years. Yeah. But brother, I'm glad you're here to be able to tell the story. Man, you and me both. And to continue. A lot of people who was there with me, are, they're not here to tell the story, you know? So yeah, I do this for them as well, you know, because I know they would like to tell their story if they was here, but, um, because of that unfortunate time. I give respect to them as my martyrs and my ancestors. Those are the ones that's helping me get here to um, California and to make my journey to Africa. You know, those are the ones that's guiding me. That's the energy that I need, you know? Right. I'm just gonna say this. You have been forgiven. <sighs> you just have to receive the forgiveness and embrace and, and it. I do, I do queen, but it's just so much. Like on another note, we'll talk about that but it's just so much. I feel like it's, it's much more need to be done. And that's why I drive so hard with making sure those who don't have a voice have a voice. Those who have a story to tell, make sure they have a platform to tell it on. That's why I do what I do because I, I felt like that's where I was at that point where if I would have had it, then I wouldn't have, you know, went that route. But we, it was so hard to get even just that far to, uh, to acknowledge, you know, there is another platform or if there was a platform. You know, there was never that for us, you know. It was like a right. time in hip hop where they say um, it came, it was something from nothing. That's because everything was taken away. They took away the social clubs. They took away the community centers. They took away the boys and girls clubs. They took away everything for us to be able to do in the community, keep us active and having fun, whether it was with sports, whether it was with chess, whether it was with swimming, Whatever it was that was in the communities, they, they, they just snatched it away immediately. So it's like, here one week, gone the next. And then what are we going to do? So then you start having kids get into mischief. mischief you know what I'm saying? They're they doing, doing um, rocks with the train. You know what I'm saying? Busting out windows of the old factory. You, they start on that level. But then it just gets more bored and let's take it to the next extreme. The next extreme. And that's what it was, you know? So I was I was looking through through your um, Facebook page just to get information about you and some of the different things that you have touched upon. Mm -hmm. And as you were talking about throwing rocks on the train and everything, it made me start thinking about graffiti. Exactly. So um, what were you involved in graffiti? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a graffiti head. So, yes, I am. See, that's another thing when I say I, I am hip hop. That's what I mean. I, I, I broke. I, I used to break dance. I started rapping, then I went straight to DJing. Then I went back to rapping to making beats. Then I became a graffiti artist. Where, where like seriously, like between the hours of one a.m. and like six a.m. when everyone is resting, I was out hitting up the walls, you know. And I was writing. That's why everybody knows me, especially in like East Orange, North area, because. I, I wrote everywhere. I wore on the sidewalks. I wrote everywhere, <laughs> you know, but yeah, I did um, graffiti. And then like, as you see the clothes I have on now, you know, this is my own style. This is my own brand right here. And it's called um, Lion Style. So it's Ryan. Ryan what? 
Rastafari. It's lion style because it's 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 on it's for and I don't just make it for Rastas, but it's mainly Rasta gear, people who who wanna represent the colors of um Ethiopia, you know what I'm saying, or just soldier gear. A lot of people say, Oh, you're like a soldier when you wear that. Well, that's the kind of gear I'm making, and it's for um, you know, mainly for my people, you know. But um, street fashion, that's one of the elements of hip hop. And you have street language. We create our own language as well. Um, street entrepreneurship. When I'm selling my CDs, selling my mixtapes, that's my business. You know what I'm saying? So for every mix I make, for every sale I make, that's my entrepreneurial skills. You know what I'm saying? And then we just came into the knowledge of without those journalists, to put those videos or those interviews in our homes when we were coming up, we wouldn't know nothing about hip hop. So then you have hip hop journalism. You can't forget about those who was doing the interviews, who was shooting, shooting the video, your Ralph McDaniels and your, your Pump It Up D Barnes out here on the West Coast. You can't forget about those people because without them, we wouldn't have no vision of what hip hop was. So as hip hop started with five elements, beatbox, MC and DJ, breaking and graffiti it started with five it has evolved to almost 10. MCing is an element in itself to MC the master of ceremonies a mic controller that's what an MC is but a rapper is a byproduct of an MC you understand so on the MC you have rapper poet you know what I'm saying wordsmith you got different titles but a rapper falls up under the category of an MC but if you just choose to rhyme about products, that's where you live. You are not, you're never going to be an MC. You're just going to be a rapper. See, that's why um, Karis once said a long time ago, he said, rap is something you do. Hip-hop is something you live. And that's what that means. You can rap all day about products. You can rap like, I tell these kids nowadays, I say, okay, if, you, if you're a freestyler, first off, you need to have a, a massive vocabulary. You need to read a dictionary, a thesaurus, a rhyming dictionary, learn words, etymology is key. Cause how you gonna claim to be a rapper and the same thing you said on your last record, you're saying on this record. So now you're starting to sound redundant to the part where I don't even need to listen to you no more because I know the next album is gonna sound like the last two. But if you were MC, then you know that you have professionalism. So you're dealing with people like common sense and black thought, who every time they open their mouth, they saying something intriguing where you like, whoa, and I don't even know what that word means. Let me go look it up. That's the MC. So that's how you can tell the difference between a rapper and an M I don't care if he calls himself a trap rapper. If he's rapping about the trap, selling drugs, being in the house all day, that's still a trap and you're a rapper. <laughs> but if you're an MC, you could transcend. Like, okay, Curtis Blow is an MC. Curtis Blow is still doing sold out concerts today in Switzerland and Germany only because he's an MC. And his music that he made way back then transcended time and still is bumping today. I could play these are the breaks and it sounds like it was made last week. You know, so that's the MC. The difference between the MC and the rapper is the, the ability to use the word. And the rapper does not use the word. He used the product. So anytime you hear music and you're like, oh, he's saying something. Okay, then that's the person that's intelligent. He's going to go to be an MC. <laughs> but if he ain't saying nothing... <laughs> you know what, what, what bucket to put him in put him in a rapping bucket and push him to the side good stuff I mean I go on and on hip hop history yeah, music go, history as far as the elements of hip hop goes I go on and on showing you examples like even a DJ most DJs I said evolve into producers you know they wind up being the guys who make the beats of these artists that perform you know like like Redman People ain't even know Redman was a DJ before he was a rapper, you know, but he was, you know, he battled me, you know, he tried to take my spot at, at Club 88 point, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's how I first met him. But as a DJ, he gave me my respect and he backed away and was like, this is yours anyway. But at the same time, he was, he was doing his rapping thing. He did better in the rapping world than he did DJing. So, you know what I'm saying? You don't, you don't have to. In hip hop, you don't have to just say, this is me, and I'm just going to be this. You could be anything you want to be. That's what hip hop has done. It's, it's giving you the ability to have a voice. You know what I'm saying? Hold right, on. right. Okay. 
the the the, right. the, the, the evolution of a yeah, DJ. Like I said, every not just DJs, but every element of hip hop, you can evolve, evolve something else. So like most graffiti artists I knew who was just scribbling in books. Now we're doing the murals you see on the side of these buildings when you're going to a certain towns. You understand? So every element sustains you if you're passionate about it. And you have to be, you have to be, it's like the energies work with you when you're more selfless. When you're selfish, then you have a lot of trials and tribulations you got to go through. And that's what you see a lot of rappers and a lot of artists go through, their trials and tribulations, because it seems like they're not going with the flow of the energy. They decide to jump off because it felt like it was going right. Like they was in control. I always feel like, like they're in control. The ancestors, the energy, the omnipresent, they're in control. I'm just following the motions of it. You know what I'm saying? Everyone else, they feel like I'm in control. I don't know about them. And then that's where they go off the path and that's where they mess up at. And that's why I've knowledge myself. So yeah, from graffiti to um, beatbox, it's a, um, a guy named, um, DJ well, was just scratch. He 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 plays for the roots. He makes all their scratch sounds. They also have another guy named Razel down with them, down with the roots. These guys have sustained themselves and also been on tour and also dropped albums as beatboxes, just like Dougie Fresh, as beatboxes, making beats <clears throat> with their mouth. So. Again, every element, the way it can sustain you. And then we start going to street fashion and language. You know, you can see different ways. You go to the library, Wu-Tang Clan has a dictionary. E-40 has a dictionary. Yes, but all their songs they have or everything they ever said in the conversation where you didn't understand what that word means, they have a book for that word. So yeah, they created their own language. Who wrote the book? They did. They created their, like own their own urban book. dictionary, I guess. That's it. Because you could do that. Once you create something in hip-hop, you becomes it and it becomes you. You know, you're one. It's okay, so when, when Karis One dropped The Gospel of Hip-Hop, you ever read that book? No. It's a beautiful book. It's a beautiful piece. If you want to know the history, if you really, truly want to know the history, of hip hop culture, that's the book to learn it from. It's called I'm the, writing gospel, it down. the Gospel of Hip Hop. I and mean, you can find it practically any bookstore. My brethren, who names is in the book, Kurt Nice and Jaja Shakur, peace to y'all brothers out there on the East Coast. But they helped help the book come into physical form so that it could be in a bookstore so that you can purchase it. Because when we first met Karis One, it was just a manuscript. And we was running around reading the manuscript, sharing it, you know what I'm saying? But I read the book from cover to cover. And I, I understand what he did. It's not his book. It's your book. It's my book. All he did was, since he's Karis One, he was able to get close to these people who are pioneers, who are archivists, who are historians. He got close to these people, got the proper information, accumulated it all, put in the book form and then gave it to me. So everything you want to know about hip hop is in the gospel of hip hop. And so you saw up. the manuscript that the original I have, the manuscript look, that was going around in the streets. I have a video on YouTube. Just type in my name, that kid 179 and then scroll down and you'll see Karis One sitting having an interview with me with the manuscript in his hand. He had it in his hand. I have the video, two videos on YouTube. When I first met him at the um, Harriet Tubman School in in in, in Harlem. <laughs> so I'm at Harriet Tubman School in Harlem doing things. And now I'm at the Harriet Tubman Center in California doing things. So you understand when I say the energies? The, the energy. energies oh, working yeah. for us. Yeah. You understand? Oh, yeah. God will put order to our steps without a doubt. <laughs> Thank you. Without a doubt. <laughs> Thank you. So that's the only, only energy I go with. But yes, he um he just compiled the information, put it in book form, and said, I want to get this to the people. How could I get this to the people? My brethren said, we can help you. We're going to help you. And then they helped him. And then next thing you know, they were sending me my own personalized signed copy by Karis One. Here, this is yours. You know what I'm saying? But it's called The Gospel of Hip Hop. And he credits 
he credits the energy of hip hop to um, Martin Luther King and his I Have a Dream speech. Yes, he does. He said, because in, in history of us living, he's the only person who ever spoke about seeing blacks and whites together, hand in hand, singing. Where's that happening now, right now through any other faction on earth, except through hip hop? We ain't That's... doing it in acting. In acting, we fighting. So we can't say in the acting world we're doing it. We ain't showing no example there. But yeah, we most music, definitely not doing it in country music because they didn't want little Nas X. Thank you. <laughs> to get, to get his, his stuff. But hip hop embraced everybody. And we got blacks, whites, orange, purples, greens, everybody having fun together. Everybody expressing themselves through the same rhythm and pace. All around the world. Through hip hop. But only because, again, Martin Luther King expressed those words. He put it in the universe. He put it out there for us. And then it just happened. And he said, if you listen to the way he said it, he said, let it ring from the, the, the high hills, starting from where it started at, New York City. It started in, in New York. Then it went down to Cali. And then, it, I mean, it went around the world, actually, because Africa banned them. They took a bunch of rappers on tour, an African tour and on European tour. Way back then, you know what I'm saying? You could find documentation about that as well. But prior to them even doing that for, for nations like Australia, who didn't know they was doing that in Africa, and people in, in Tokyo didn't know they was doing that in Europe, you know what I'm saying? But still got hit with the bug by some way, form, or fashion. You got Japanese people out there that break dance better than the ones out here in, in America. You know what I'm saying? And wow. then that is that queen showing you how we live in it now, I could also show you how our ancestors was using it in the past. Like graffiti is nothing but hieroglyphics. That's what graffiti is. It's modern day hieroglyphics. That's what I call it. Modern day hieroglyphics. So when I'm riding in the neighborhood and I see graffiti on the wall, I know who neighborhood is. Just because I, I wrote graffiti, I can read it. So I know who stuff, I'm, who, who area I'm in. That's, what, that's what's funny about graffiti artists. So now I know the hand styles. I know what it looked like. It's not, it's not foreign to me. It's not like hieroglyphics. It's plain as day when I see it. Oh, that guy name is Scheme. Oh, that guy name is such and such. Oh, he must live around here. Oh, he must, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I see when I see graffiti. You're able to read the writing on the wall. Exactly. Just like hieroglyphics. You know what I'm saying? So that's how I equate the, um, the spoken word um, with, with, with rap music. We're talking to um, the Watts Prophets right now. To me, I feel like, you know, um, Cab Calloway, um, those are our first rappers. You our African griots. Come on. They was the ones. And then we just took it and, and flipped it in a young way. You know what I'm saying? The youngsters way. We, we flipped it so that we could understand it. And it was according to the way we was growing up in our generation of time. You know what I'm saying? But it's the same thing the last poets was doing. Same thing Leroy Jones was doing. You know what I'm saying? Same thing. <laughs> But yeah, all of that stuff is, is just regenerated. You know what I'm so, saying? So when you you were talking about the the, the five elements of hip hop and uh -huh. how it's it has evolved to ten. Now with the elements of hip hop and the hip hop energy, yeah. is it stagnant? Because because uh, are we still being creative? I mean, I, I know I, I know I know we're still creating. Yes, but. Are we being creative? Are we still developing? Are we still evolving well, in hip hop? Again, those who are passionate are teaching those who, who are also seeking to be as passionate. You know what I'm saying? In other words, there's schools. Um, the temple of hip hop is actually, you know, a, a training camp for people who want to stay in that creative field not wanting to compromise, not wanting to be like everyone else, rather than, you know, um, you have a, a, a lot of them who are like, and it's, it's, it's good for me to see this nowadays, like a lot of the ones in the past who were very creative, who you thought that, okay, they're gone now. They're coming out now and making music that's, that's relevant to today, greater than they did back then. Still on the same level, but you can hear how they have evolved and grown. But they're producing today, and they're doing it independent because most of these acts of the day 
were signed to labels. And that's why you see a lot of acts fall off or just give up, you know, like your Latifas and stuff like that. They don't want to make music no more. We've done with that. We'd rather act. We'd rather do this because the labels did us so bad. When we do decide to do it again, we'll start our own labels. You know, and that's what I'm starting to see. I'm starting to see that the power is being taken from the um, industry with the, with the help of technology. They didn't know the boom of technology was going to be spawning so many creative talents from everywhere. They thought it was going to assist them, but it's actually hurting them because the artist could be, you know, overnight. You know, if he Instagram enough, if he promote himself enough on the platforms, he could be an instant overnight success. Don't need you no more. So they starting to see, they, they're buckling from that. They're scared from that. But you still have a lot of young ones who are still falling for their bait. But the majority of ones I'm seeing refuse to fall for their bait, refuse to go any way the industry want to go. So now when I tell you I'm finding new music every day, you're finding new genres of artists who are being creative like you're when you first heard Erica Badu or when you first heard Jill Scott. You're hearing these artists now and they're like, 19 years old and 20 years old and 21 years old and they're not no old souls but they do sound like some old souls you know so yeah i think we're creative and we're still creating and i think we're doing it before we didn't know we was being manipulated by the industry now we're forced to know we were being manipulated by the industry so now everyone's striving to do their best to stay away from the industry you know what i'm saying like Right. That's a bad egg. So we all know it's a bad egg. So let's stay away from the bad egg. And that's what's happening. You right. know, and that's what's allowing people to become themselves, come into themselves and express themselves and make more creative, beautiful music. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I got so I have more homework to do before <laughs> I do a part three. No problem. Part four, five, six, seven, no eight, nine, problem. ten with, with, with you. Cause I, I, I was writing down a, a lot of the names that I need to look up a book that I need to read the gospel oh, yeah. of hip hop by KRS one. Yes. Um, your YouTube videos that I need to watch. <laughs> and you gotta be careful cause I got, okay. Now, before I came to California, um, between the years of, um, 2000, in 2010, I became a, a DJ slash party promoter. It's like my flyer. I don't know if you can see it over here in the corner, but that's the flyer for my first event right there. We had an event called Soul Searching Sundays. And Soul Searching Sundays. Every Sunday, right? And then that evolved into a, like a, um, uh, what we called um, training camp. It was a training camp for artists who were serious about their skills, who wanted to know the levels of going through the echelons of becoming. And we was helping them with everything from getting BDS spins, getting their EMI, uh, management, everything. It was It was happening at this spot we call, had called um, Armory Cavern in Northern Jersey. And what we, we named it was um, True School University, all right? true school university so heads would come and it was almost like a school we would sit around and we would um educate one another elevate one another and then we evolved that into an event called um the garden variety show now when the garden variety show came it blew everything out the water like to the point where it became known as one of the most positive hip-hop spots in in newark new jersey period and people spoke about it from like New York to Philadelphia, you know, like everybody was trying to get on our stage. Everybody was trying to get, a, you know what I'm saying? Get there at least for one night to experience it. So for at least 10 years from 2000 to 2010, that's what you're going to see in my That Kid 179 page videos. It's all videos of from like the first performance to I think the last one, I, when, I, when I finally came out here to California, I did like a, a video of me touring around California and finding a lot of graffiti and things of that nature. But a lot of videos I have, you'll see is like, um, like uh, behind the scenes, backstage, concerts. Um, everyone was inviting me to their events 
as long as I was getting an invitation, I was showing up. But sometimes I would be at three events in one day. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Do one in the daytime, be at another one in the afternoon, and be at this one in the evening. And then I come home and I'll edit those videos. And then I'll have them on YouTube the next day. So when they woke up, that's the first thing they saw in the morning. So I was doing video, video editing and um, videography and archiving on the East Coast under a group called um, Shades of Hip Hop. Shades of Hip Hop, they're like, um, they're like when you have these um, smack DVDs and things of that nature, these are the founders of that. They used to have um, Shades of Hip Hop in VHS form. You can only get a VHS form. You know what I'm saying? So um, they became very popular on the East Coast. They have a video right now on um, on YouTube, and it's a cipher with with DMX, um, Big Pun when he was alive, Most Def, um, John Forte, Cannabis, um, and Red Man. They all sit at the table in a, in a like a restaurant or a diner after a performance, after a show. And my man Kurt walked up on him, and they all just started talking, and he turned the camera on. And um, they got to asking Cannabis about his battle with LL Cool J and how that happened. And they get real in depth, like right there, it's beautiful, because they asked Redman, because you know Redman was on that song too. And it was like, because um, it was like LL told Cannabis, he needed to go back and write his verse. And they was like, what do you think about that, Red? You heard the verse? What do you think? And Red was like, I thought the verse was dope. You know what I'm saying? To me, when I first heard it, you know, I thought, so you get to hear everybody's perspective, but Shades of Hip Hop, when you see that video, they're the ones who, who they own. They're the only ones who own it. So everybody is re-showing it now, but they have the whole full interview. And those are the guys I used to run with on the East Coast, you know? So it was like, um, like I said, the, the, the grandfathers of the DVD, VHS, um, hip hop, you know, when they put um, World Star and all that stuff, all that stuff came from Shades of Hip Hop. You know, and I used to do camera work for them. So before I left the East Coast, that's all you'll see on my page is videos of our shows, um, shows I went outside of the state, outside of uh, New Jersey to cover and what have you. That's what you're going to find in there. You know, so, yeah, you're going to find that um, the Karis one up there when he holding the manuscript, you're going to find that one. But on that same week, that same day, they was having what was known as um, Old Timers Day. And it was like all the pioneers from like um, Cool Modi and Sunshine and all the old school heads. They was having an event right down the street from um, the Harriet Tubman School. So I was able to cover their event and come back down the street, cover Paris One, and go back down the street and get some more footage with Cool Modi and so. That's the kind of things he was doing back then. It was like real fun. So everything you see in there was, of course, like fun. I enjoyed it. But when I came out here to uh, California, what I'm doing now showed me how to make it like. Uh, how long have you life. been here? Um, 10 years now. 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. I came in through uh, Skid Row. I came in through there, so I uh, came into a Greyhound. Actually, I think I was coming from Virginia that time. But, um, man, I saw that. But it, it was nice. The weather was like what I was looking for. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, this is it. I think this is it. So I stuffed everything in, in the Greyhound on my luggage and went. First place I went towards uh, Union Square. That's what I do when I go anywhere. I go, I go to the main transit, transit um, hub. And I get a map. I get a map of everywhere there that's close. The LA County, you know what I'm saying? So I can know where I'm going. And the, the map showed me the train line. So I seen all the train lines, the gold line, the red line, the purple line. And I rolled them all, every stop. You know what I'm saying? Just so I could learn California. But when I took the blue line, and the blue line finally stopped was um, Long Beach Transit Mall. And when we hit that turn and I saw the Performance Arts Center, it kind of made me think about um, South Houston in New York, Soho, where it's like multicultural. You had all nationalities of people just walking about their day, don't care about you, you don't care about them, you know what I'm saying? I was like, this is the place, you know? 
So uh, got all my belongings from uh, downtown LA, moved up to Long Beach and made Long Beach my foundation. So I was living out there for, for the past, actually I just moved out of Long Beach last year, but I was there the whole time, you know what I'm saying? On the same block, like I, I lived on 742 Olive Avenue. And then when I moved from there, I moved to 639 Olive Avenue. <laughs> so that was like right down the street. So it's like I'm first I'm between eighth and seventh, and then I was between seventh and sixth. Same block though, you know what I'm saying? So the whole time I was in Long Beach, I stayed in the same strip. And I was in Long Beach for like maybe four or five years with those two places. You know, me and my son, I was raising my son, single father here, you know what I'm saying? So he ran with me every everywhere I went, whether I was going to an electric group or to a, a event he was there with me you know what i'm saying he a big man now he on the east coast but he was with me when i when, when i decided to make long beach a place i sent for him and brought him out here with me and let him experience growing up on, on the east on the west coast right yeah. how did you get connected with radio justice um through first i would say through um the zulu nation i was linked with um Kalafia Zulu chapter in Long Beach. Well, everything happens in Long Beach. So, um, my brethren, last man, he was the president of that chapter, actually. And him and Adam are our comrades. You know, they knew each other for a while. So um, when, com when, when comrade Adam and Leslie stepped into KPFK, they wanted to bring some programming with them. They asked Kalafia Zulu, could they do a hip hop show? And me being a DJ, you know, last man asked me, how would you feel about it? And I was, I was ecstatic. So I was like, let's do it. You know, so yeah, we did the show with KPFK for like maybe uh, two or three years. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, and, just so the, and just so the listening audience know, Leslie Radford, who is currently yeah. our founder, visionary yeah. and CEO of Radio Justice, Right. This was the former general manager at KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles That's at right. that time. And Adam was the radio man extraordinaire yeah. that did knew everything, did everything yeah. over at, K, at, at KPFK. They and and he does that team. here for us at Radio Justice, Adam Rice. They was the master team that pulled um, KPFK out of the red into the black in less than a year's time. That's how much of a power team they are. You know what I'm saying? So when they said, y'all want to start your own radio station? Y'all want to start Radio Justice? Y'all want to do this? And I was like, hell yeah, with y'all. Hell yeah. <laughs> Man, any day with y'all. So yeah, that's what brought me to Radio Justice. I came with my, my family, like, let's do this. And um, when he heard my house music set, he was like, you got some more of those? <laughs> and I was like, of course, because... Like I say, house music is where I got my mixing ear from. If it wasn't house music, I don't know where I'd be. And it wasn't really the house music of the day. It's the classics like um, like Stevie Wonder, All I Do, and, you know what I'm saying, Pipeline, and, you know, old songs from um, L L L L um, Lalita Holloway. And, you know, um, what's my girl name? Shaka Khan, you know. Um, Sister Sledge, you know, those are the songs that was bumping as house tunes back then. Um, Eddie Kendricks. Um, I just go on naming um, artists, the Tramps. You know, a lot of these people are known as classic club songs, you know what I'm saying? So that's where, if, if you can mix that stuff, you can mix anything. That's just my synopsis. Mixing a little bit of everything, that's the hardest music to mix only because they have bands. And they bands changed up the sound every couple of minutes. So you got to know how whatever you're going to mix with that sound, when that sound changes up, to make sure that the sound you're mixing with it is not offbeat when it goes on. Because people, like real DJs with an ear will call you on it. Like, oh, you know that's off. And then you feel, feel real stupid, you know what I'm saying? Especially if you're trying to show off <laughs> and the mix is off. And they're like, yo, yeah, you, you thought you was jamming, huh? But your mix is off. And they could call you and show you, and then you'll hear it and be like, oh, yeah, it was all, you know? A real DJ could call you on it, you know? So that's where learning how to mix house or, or classic club music, it comes in, in the handy, you know? A lot of people laughed at me because I played it, but now I'm glad I played it, you know what I'm saying? Like, 
um, love thing. Um, it's a love thing. Most people play that as a house music tune. I used to scratch that record. You know what I'm saying? On 45. But now in, in 2015, I hear rappers scratching it, like Jazzy Jeff. I'm like, oh, now they want to scratch these records. So I was scratching them way back then. <laughs> you know, so right. um, right. in, in some ways, yeah, I, I always felt like um, with those turntables, you know, you could do things that that's ahead of, ahead of your time. You know what I'm saying? Like, even if you listen to my mixes on, on Life in Zanzibar, you would think you're, hearing, you're listening to one song but it's actually two songs playing at the same time. And they mix it so well together, it sounds like one song. So if you go run to the store and you play, like playing this song, you playing this song with Shazam, like what's the name of this song? It's not gonna be able to tell you because it's two records, not one. You know, so that's how my mixes are. They, they're streamless to the point where you don't know where the first one, when you know the first song, but you don't know when the mix blend in because the blending in so nice. And you don't know wow. when the next one blend out because the blend, blend out so nice. That kid. Yeah. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. <laughs> I am so grateful no for, for, for you giving me this extended interview. <laughs> no problem. Like I say, anytime I, you want to do it again, we can. You know what I'm saying? Because yes. I think we only touched like half of the surface. You know what I'm saying? I really didn't get too in deep with too deep in depth with you, but I did leave you with enough um research. You know what I'm saying? You definitely check out that that book and Check out some of my videos. You know, you see uh, some of the people who I interviewed, some of the events I went to, and you know what I'm saying? And kind of what made me who I am out here. Because a lot of people out here, they look back to the East Coast. Like when they heard my name, that kid 179. I'm like, yeah, you know, call such and such back East. They'll tell you who I am. And they do that, and they're like, oh, I, I know who you is. Like, that's how I became Zulu Nation, I want to say. Because I told uh, last man when I first met him, you know, when we met my, like, learned my name, I said, call back on the East, and anybody you know out there, ask them if they know me. And then they was like, hell yeah, I know them. So he was like, well, we want to put you down with Zulu Nation, but we don't want to, we don't want you to go through the process they go through. We want to make you an honorary Zulu Nation member because you already lived through everything. And I was like, oh, wow, beautiful. So I appreciate that. So that's how I became Zulu Nation because on the East Coast, I was already Temple of Hip Hop. So when I came, that's Temple of Hip Hop is Kara's one. So when I came out here, they made me Zulu Nation and that's Africa Man Baga. So with me bringing, because we did um, Hip Hop Appreciation Week out on the East Coast. So I wanted to bring that out here to the West Coast. So when we did it for the first time here in Santa Monica, it was the first time Zulu Nation and Temple of Hip Hop came together under one roof and had an event. And that was like my first gift of California. You know what I'm saying? So that's how everything worked out. <laughs> that's how everything worked out. And just so the Conversation Peace family know, Last Man is also one of Radio Justice um, DJ. And his that's show right. is called Something, Something from Nothing. That's right. Something from Nothing. Yeah. And that one airs on Saturdays from midnight to 2 a.m. and 6 to 8 p.m. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. And live from Zanzibar with Dad Kid 179, Friday nights, Friday. 8 to 10 p.m. on radiojustice.org. Right. party evening. peace, love, and happiness. Bless love, blessed love, blessed love every time. Yes, may God be with you every step. <laughs> Every breath, every turn, every bend Truly that you just feel the covering. Man. Of the <laughs> okay, Holy we just Spirit. get started. We just getting started. So let's just have fun. Started. <laughs> let's yes. have fun. <laughs> you know? Yes. But okay, thank but you, let them just go ahead. Go ahead. Now I was just saying thank you. And um, let's do this again soon, seriously. Most definitely. Most definitely. Let's do this again real soon. Thank you. DJ Dat Kid 179. Thank you to Leslie Radford, Adam Rice, Nicole Johnson, Michael Washington of M. Wash Soul for the opening and closing theme song. And always you, our RJLA family. I'm Angela Birdsong once again. Thank you for allowing me to share this very special experience of conversation piece on Radio Justice with you. 
Remember, to be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be brave, be courageous, and let all that you do be done with love.